0: Hello, and thanks for being with me today. I'm Jana Harmon, and you're listening to the Side B Podcast, where we listen to the other side. What happens to your view of God when bad, especially traumatic things happen in your life? You may have had expectations of a good, loving, and powerful God who's supposed to protect you at every turn. The bad things aren't supposed to happen, but they do. You begin to wonder, where was God? Who is this God that I thought existed? Maybe he doesn't exist after all. How could he in light of such horrible circumstances? Belief in a good God often crumbles under the weight of pain. If that's true of an adult, it's especially true of a child. When a child suffers sudden unspeakable loss, It's not surprising when they also suddenly lose whatever faith they must have had in a God who seemed to go missing. Pushing God away is the only viable option left on the table. The only problem is, life without God doesn't seem to have any existentially satisfying answers either. That's the tension faced by the former atheist in our story today. Someone who hated God for nearly 20 years a God, in his view, who didn't exist, comes to experience God in an unexpected way. Mike Arnold was a former atheist but is now a Christian and serves his community as a Christian pastor. Welcome to the Side b podcast, Mike. It's so great to have you.
1: It's great to be here as well and to join you on this cast.
0: Thank you, thank you. As we're getting started, why don't you, we start by you telling me a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and perhaps uh, where you live now, what you do now?
1: Yeah, well, my name is Michael Arnold. I, everybody calls me Mike, and I prefer it that way. I'm a bit laid back. Um, but I'm a well <laughs> if you're thinking this man sounds really strange, it's because I'm from Wales. I'm a Welshman, but I'm actually living in a small town in the East Midlands of England, Called Long Eaton, where I'm a Baptist minister.
0: And you've you've been in England for how long?
1: I moved here 12 years ago. I'm into a different pastorate. I recently left there and moved here. But yeah, 12 years ago, I moved from Wales into England, where I can honestly say that I'm a missionary.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, that that's great. All right, so. At least we know where you are now. And yeah. let's now kind of start back at the beginning of your story. I presume if you're from Wales, um, you had a childhood in Wales and, and your right. ideas of God and faith and religion developed there. Why don't you tell me a little bit about your childhood, your understanding of if there was a God, those kinds of things.
1: Well I grew up my my parents like so many parents didn't actually attend church and had no faith at all. They wanted I think a quiet afternoon on a Sunday and so they used to send me and my brothers and sister to Sunday school at the local Pentecostal church. And that's where I went for about 18 months up until the age of 7. Um the one morning I, I stopped going because the one morning I was woke up by my brother, Tony. He's, he was 11 years old. I was seven at the time, but he woke me up to say that the house was on fire. And uh, yeah, sure enough, it was. Um, we went to get mom because she was sleeping in her bedroom. We went to wake her up and we then she raised the alarm by smashing out the bedroom windows. And I jumped out of the bedroom window, and my brother Tony at the t- time realized that my youngest brother, David, who was three years old, was still somewhere upstairs in, in bed. So he went looking for it. I jumped out of the bedroom window, and I, I had uh, 47 stitches across my backside because I fell onto a piece of glass on the pavement, and I was taken into my neighbor's house when they were ready for me to go to the ambulance. As I was going to the ambulance, my brother Tony walked out of the front door of the house and he was a ball of fire. He he suffered third-degree burns over 90% of his body. Oh, my. Well, it, it is what it is, isn't it? Um, you know, he, he survived for five days in absolute agony. I was put in the ambulance at his feet. And for the next 10 minutes, while they raced us off to the to the hospital, I saw, all I could hear was him screaming in agony. And that was the last mm-hmm. I saw of him. They found my younger brother, David, who is three years old, as I said. They found him curled up dead in my mother's bedroom, in my mother's mm-hmm. bed. And um, he never got out of the house alive. The following Sunday, mom sent me to... Mom sent me to church where the minister said, "Come, come and pray, come and give praise to God." And I thought, "Praise to God!" I ran off. I didn't want anything to do with him. I thought to myself, "If God loves us, as I had learned in Sunday school, why would He do this to my brother Tony?" And so I became an atheist. I wanted nothing to do with God at all. And I became mm. evangelical. I went. I stopped going to church. I became evangel I became an evangelical atheist. And whenever I would come across Christians, I would I would get into conversations with them, I would ridicule them, I would mock them, I would get into arguments with them, I would tell them how stupid they were, how foolish they were, and I would, you know. Yeah, that's that was my life growing up, where faith was concerned. And that's how it was, you know had nothing to do with church wanted wanted nothing to do with church wanted nothing to do with God would argue with anybody who was religious mm. and
0: so there there was a lot of pain and anger it it manifested in in anger towards God towards anything religious towards religious people
1: yeah there was anger there was I felt a lot of guilt as well because I because I survived while my two brothers were, were were taken. and you know so I felt a lot of guilt. My life was was driven by anger. I would become periodically depressed and everything else. I was actually um diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder when I was twenty four. Um, mm. i had a I had a serious breakdown. When I was twenty four and I was taken to the doctor and they described they they diagnosed me with PTSD and I was able to have some psychiatric counseling and that allowed me to regain control at that time. You know, and and that's the way it was, you know, and it, it, it was working its way out.
0: Wow, it sounds like that the trauma that you in- incurred as a child is unspeakable. Truly, I, I can't imagine. But it just, it 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 affected every part of your life. It sounds like, for a long time. Wow. So you you got a little bit of counseling to help, perhaps deal with some of the pain and the anger and the guilt that you were feeling um what happened then what what was the next step in your journey? Um, I would imagine it would be a little difficult to have relationships uh, when it, you're trying to deal with all of this going on internally within yourself.
1: It was and I I was in a long-term relationship with with a girl um we were living together and... I put her through absolute hell. When I had a breakdown, honestly, it I put her through hell. It was her that took me to the doctor. She couldn't cope with me anymore. And it was through that that I got counseling and it just enabled me to to get control again, you know? Right. And I But as I had a breakdown, I lost my job. And for several months, I was out of work because I just couldn't cope with, with anything. I would sit in the corner for days on end. And then what happened was I, I, I managed to get myself back up on my feet. And I, get, I found a new job with a Japanese company. And they sent me to Japan for three months for training. When I got, when I got back, my partner... I'd become a Christian. And that is never a good mix with me because I was the outspoken atheist and now I'm living with the enemy. Right. And so, every time she went to church, she came back to an argument. Every time she went to a prayer meeting, she came back to an argument. And, you know, and again, I do, I do. when I argued, I wouldn't hold back. And I really feel sorry for her because she had to put up with me having a go at her every time she went to church
0: (laughs) wow wow i bet that was a bit contentious i bet it it does it begs the question for me how how in the world uh did she become a christian when what was her background ahead did she have any belief in god prior to this
1: uh, this she was more agnostic um she told me that when i was in japan she was she was in the gym one day and the hymn kept going over and over and over in her mind and and she knew a christian in the gym and she said i'm having this strange experience this hymn keeps going over and over in my mind and the chris and the christian said well oh the lord is speaking to you and i thought yeah okay (laughs) right i going, mean while i was there she kept going she she started going to church and which was a which was an interesting experience for her but you know it was a great taboo so the first thing she was afra- she was afraid to tell me that she'd started going to church but what i did realize was the person i came back to from when i returned from Japan wasn't the person i left when i went there she, there was something completely different about her, And I could see it in her that there was a huge change in her. And, and for the next 12 months or so, she, she showed the patience of a saint with me. I tell you, i got to be fair.
0: So she, there was a huge change in her. So she was patient. What else was different about her that you noticed that she it made her feel as if she was a completely different person?
1: Well it was it was her outlook. She was she was far more patient with me, she was she was far more laid back, she she seemed to be much happier, much calmer. Yeah, you know, and she kept praying as well, which freaked me out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so now, she was she was happier and calm and more patient with you, but yet you were probably uh, more resentful of this, uh, as this militant atheist, this angry atheist at religion and God and all of those things. I can't imagine, despite her patience, that your relationship would have been calm in any way.
1: it, It nearly broke our relationship at the time. It really did, because she was now, in my eyes, she was the enemy. And like I said, mm. every time every time she went out to church, i, I it would result in an argument. And yet patiently, mm. she had people praying for me in the background. She was praying for me herself. She didn't let on that they were praying for me because I would have had another border. But um yeah, so I had ultimately, I found out that I had half a dozen churches that were praying for me you know wow and then the one okay. night i i was working on a on a, a split shift which is mornings afternoons and nights and the one the one evening i came in from work it was about midnight i had been working a late shift and the house was empty and that caused me to worry a bit because you know she's a she's a woman on her own and she wasn't there and i didn't know where she was and then the phone rang and she said she was over with some christian friends would i mind going over and picking her up and by the time i got there i was ready for i was ready for a fight i'll say that mm-hmm. i was absolutely seething because she was out at that time of night and she was with christian friends and mm-hmm. she should have been at home and I was waiting for them to mention Jesus, and I would have just erupted. And they didn't. And I was there for three hours with them, and they didn't mention Jesus once. They offered me a coffee. They 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 talked to me sensibly. They they didn't broach Christianity or Jesus or God or faith in any way, shape or form. And that got me into that got me puzzled. I will say.
0: That was probably very disarming. Probably not what you expected when you walked in the door.
1: Oh yeah, I I was wait, I was waiting for it. I I was raring to go, you know. And they yeah. didn't talk about Jesus at all. And I was part of me was disappointed. Part of me was intrigued. Mm.
0: <laughs> so, so what was intriguing about this?
1: The fact that Christian these were the first Christians I'd met. In a very long time that didn't talk about Jesus or try and wangle Jesus into a conversation, you know. Mm. And my experience with Christians is they're there and they want to preach at to you and they want to tell you how bad you are, that you're a sinner, that you need to repent and put your faith in him. And there was none of it. And that mm. that is quite surprising when when you your experience of Christians is this is what they do. And then you can fight them and battle them and tell them how stupid they are.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that just didn't happen here.
1: No, it didn't. And it didn't happen for weeks. It, mm-hmm. Every time I met up with them, and I went, back, I got to a point where I was visiting them every single day. And, and And I was visiting, if I was on afternoon shift, I'd go over in the morning. If I was on night shift, I'd go there in the evening. If I was off work, I would be there most of the day. And they wouldn't talk about Jesus. And in the end, I start it was me who brought Jesus up and I started questioning them. And it was I didn't have any I didn't want to know Jesus. I wanted to get them talking so it could provoke an argument so that I could tell them how foolish they were in believing in this non existent thing. And it went like that for several months. I've got to be fair. And we would have some very good conversations that would very quickly degenerate into an argument. Sometimes we would have good conversations and I would leave it there. And then I would lull them into a a false sense of security and I would go back the next day and they would think, yes, we're getting somewhere with him and I would start arguing with them again. (laughs) and 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 this this went on for several months
0: oh and you were arguing about just uh, the big issues of god and our science or what what kinds of things what kind of conversations were you having
1: science that science has proved that there is no god i i was into the writings of heinrich von daniken that jesus was an alien and all this sort of stuff and what they thought of was God was a, an advanced alien species that had visited Earth at some point, that evolution dis- uh, has disproved that God created us and anything that would disprove this nonsense that they would believe in. you know And so I right. come at, you know I come at it from a scientific point of view. From the alien point of view, from the evolution point of view, and from the point of view that if God was so powerful, why did he do this and allow this? And why were there earthquakes and volcanic eruptions and natural disasters? You name it. That's a path that I walked.
0: Mm. Well were they able to respond with any substance to your accusations at all or or were were they able to meaningfully participate sometimes in an intelligent way yes yeah.
1: sometimes and sometimes depending on what mood i was in they were a bit more successful than other times but i i found that you know if someone doesn't want to listen no matter what you say if they are not prepared to listen you you may as well just say well i understand where you're coming from and leave it because yes. if, if someone doesn't want to engage and doesn't want to listen then that's it you know but there were times when actually i realized after a while there was i did want to listen i did want to hear that's it that's a uh, uh,
0: really huge statement that you just made that the desire to listen or not we'll return to our conversation with mike in just a moment but first i wanted to tell you about the resources at the cs lewis institute in case you're wondering about the cs lewis institute it fosters discipleship of the heart and mind within a christian worldview they have programs that are varying formats ranging from their year-long fellows program to their 10-week heart and mind program designed for small groups or Sunday school classes. Their newest addition is the Keeping the Faith program. It's a unique study plus fellowship experience designed to equip parents and grandparents for intentional discipleship of their children and teens. We hope you'll take a look at the offerings of the C.S. Lewis Institute, those along with what's in their video library, their audio library, other publications. They have just a variety of resources for you to take advantage of. Just visit www.cslewisinstitute.org and look under the resources tab. Now let's get back to our conversation. What do you think allowed you to turn from The resistance and then the not willing to listen to move to a posture of maybe I do want to hear what they're saying in a more open way. What made that switch in you? What, What do you suppose happened there?
1: It wasn't that they were making sense or whatever. It was who they were. The, they, mm. And the fact that they weren't pointing the finger at me, they weren't judging me, they were accepting me for who I was without judgment, and they were allowing me to be me. And, you know, I think as very often Christians come at atheists with a view of, you're a sinner, you need to be a Christian. You need to put your faith in Jesus. And I had none of that. It was just, we're going to love you for who you are. And we're going to give you the space to to be who you are. And and that got me to a point where I was actually willing to give them the time and listen to what they had to say. Even even mm. to the point where, even if I didn't agree with it, I would at least give them the respect they needed or th- that they deserved, because they gave me the respect that I deserved. Mm. And, you know, I, it got to a point Like after several months, we went to visit them one Friday evening in October 1996. And my partner and and his wife went to put the kettle on, and the kettle took five and a half hours to boil. Because as, he, as we sat there waiting for the kettle, he said, Mike, he said, I've got to ask you, he said, and he said, I seem to take a couple of steps forward with you, he said, only to realize that I've taken actually three steps backward, he said. And it baffles me, he said, what do you hold against God? Mm-hmm. And for five hours that night in October 1996, I just told him my story. you know, And for five hours, I, I just pulled it out. And what struck me as I was sharing my story with him was that, I could hear him sobbing. The room was semi-dark, and the light was behind him, and his face was in darkness, and I could hear him sobbing. And that really hit me. And he cared. Mm. You know? Yeah. <laughs> even, mm. think, even thinking about it now. But he cared.
0: Yeah. And at the end
1: of five hours, he said to me, he said, would you mind, he said, if I pray to you? And I, and I looked at him and I said, well, if you think it'll do any good, I said, you go for it. So he came over and he put his hands on my head and he said, I'm going to start praying for you, he said, and I'll pray in English. But if I if I stop praying in English, he said, and I start praying in something else, don't worry about it. He said, I'll only be speaking to God. And he started praying with me and he started praying in English and then he stopped praying in English. And he started praying in something else. And it was at that point I wanted to get up and run like run like hell. It, yes. it freaked me out. Yes. I, I did. It really freaked me out. I, I went cold. I wanted to be sick. I wanted to run. Mm. And he prayed with me. And he sat down. And he called the women in. And they came in. They put a cup of coffee in my in front of me. And we just had a time of fellowship. And when we when we left, it was about two o'clock in the morning. My partner said to me, She said, How are you feeling? I said, You know, I said, I think I'm demon possessed, I said, because he oh. started praying for me, and I, oh. I and I felt like this. And she said to me, She said, No, no, she said, That's normal for that's normal when people pray with you. And I know, of course, it's not normal. She was lying. Oh. <laughs> you no. Know? But that was it. That was that was my experience that night. Over the next couple of weeks, I found I couldn't argue with him anymore. I could argue with other Christians, but I couldn't argue with him. Mm. And after a couple of weeks, he said to me, he said, Mikey said, how are you feeling? And I said, you know, I said, it's really strange. I said, I can't argue with him. I, I find him that I can't argue with him anymore. I said, I said, but also, I feel really peaceful. I said, I can't explain it. And he laughed. he started laughing. And I said, don't laugh. I said, I'm being serious. No, no. He said, isn't that what I prayed for when I prayed with you? I said, Lord, this boy has never known peace in his life. Would you please give him peace? And as he said those words, he was like a thunderclap going off inside me. I tell you what, I don't know. I thought, oh, heck. Oh, heck. I thought if the prayer can be answered. And it was. That was what he prayed. This boy has never known peace in his life. Will you please give him peace? And I thought to myself that night, if a prayer can be answered, there must be someone there who is able to answer prayers. And I was Mm. wrong. That night, I said, I was walking my dog down the back of the house and I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, I said, if you are there, will you please sort me out? And that's all I prayed. None of these Prayers of repentance or anything else that I've heard so a million times since. That's all I prayed was, if you were there, will you sort me out? I went in, I told my partner that I'd asked the Lord into my life. She gave one almighty scream and got on the phone and she started phoning everybody around saying that I'd accepted the Lord into my life.
0: (coughs) (laughs) I bet they couldn't believe it.
1: They couldn't. I went to church the following Sunday. This was this was on the this was on a Friday. This was an, on another Friday. I went to church on Sunday. It was that exciting. I went to sleep halfway through the service.
0: <laughs> this was but, the first time you'd been to church since you were a child,
1: like six years was, old. Since I was seven, yeah, I was 26 I was twenty six at the time, and it was the first time I'd been in church in twenty years. Wow. I would I wouldn't even go into a church for a funeral. I would stand outside on the door, you mm-hmm. know, and and that's where I was. I wouldn't even go into a church with a, for a funeral, and here I was, found myself in church for the first time in nine on twenty years, and mm-hmm. I fell asleep. I got a beef. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Not an exciting sermon, I
1: guess. No, no, but it was such a peaceful place.
0: Ah.
1: the and Peace. It, it was such a peaceful place. And yeah, and I was like that for weeks. For weeks I went to church every Sunday and I would fall asleep. <laughs> and people were people were patient with me. They'd give me a nudge if I started snoring too much, you know? And and they give me a <laughs> nudge and, and but they just let me they just let me be who I was. Oh. And it, and it was it was nice to to be there, you know. Yes. And and then I started questioning my friend Keith because I wanted to know. Yeah, and 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 that there it was. You know, I'd like to say that everything worked out perfectly. My partner left within eighteen months. She backslid. As far as I'm aware, she she has no faith now. Mm. Um and she has she has no faith and I ended I ended up carrying going on to ch- gone going on um on myself by myself to church when she mm-hmm. left when when she left I had another breakdown but this time I was put in touch with a, a group of Christian counselors and mm. they worked with me for a year and they worked with me through uh, through what, the issues of the post traumatic stress. They kept asking me, why do you feel guilty? And I kept answering with with all of the answers I could think of. And they kept saying, no, that's not the answer. And in desperation, I cried out to God. And I said, Lord, why do I keep feeling guilty? And he showed me. And in showing me, he set me free from it. And you know and then he he set me free from the anger and once the anger and the and the, the guilt had gone so did the depression go with it and so for the last probably 20 years now i've had i've had no depression i've had no anger i've had no guilt he has completely set me free from the lot
0: wow wow so your life changed in a dramatic way, just like when you came home to your partner and she had become a completely different person. It was like you became a completely different person once yeah. you found God and Christ.
1: Yeah. The the Bible says that those the Lord sets free are free indeed. Well, the Lord set me free from depression, from anger, and extreme anger issues from from serious guilt to the point where I would become suicidal. You know? And I have tried I have tried to commit suicide on three occasions in the past. Um whenever the the, the PTSD would kick in because it's almost cyclical and he set me free from the lot. Mm. But it was at that time when he sat, he set me free that he then started calling me He said, I want you to come into ministry. And I was working as an engineer in the factory at that time. And he started calling me into ministry. And so I refused. I said, I'm a failure. I can't be a minister. (laughs) Because we all know that ministers live perfect lives and they're perfect people. And I'm a failure. (laughs) I've suffered with, with, with PTSD and guilt and anger. And I'm... I've done things that you know I'm not really proud of you know and yeah and there is the Lord then saying I want you to go to college and become a minister and for several years I said no and then I met I met a young woman who was in the local baptist church and I kept talking to her about how God was calling her into ministry calling me into ministry and I said to the, I said I said this is where I feel God is calling me. And she said, Well, would you please be quiet about it, or go and sort it out and find, and do something about it? And so I went <laughs> <laughs> because okay. I was I was driving, and that's because I was talking yeah. about it all the time. But I wasn't. Doing, and, and in the end, I went to, to a local um, college that is run by the Baptists in Cardiff, and I had a, I had an interview there. I was in the Pentecostals at the time, and he said because you're a Pentecostal, you would have to pay for yourself, to to uh, for the tuition fees and everything else. It was going to cost twelve thousand pounds, and because I had gone through this breakup and I was up to my up to my years in debt, I thought I'm never going to have this is never going to happen, and so I prayed about it, and I'd gone to this interview on Wednesday, and I went into work on the following Friday, two days later. And they asked for people to take voluntary redundancy, and I nearly fell off the chair laughing. So, so what
0: does that what does that mean voluntary oh, redundancy?
1: Well, this is where they wanted to they wanted to get rid of workers um, because of various issues. They wanted to make vo- people um, redundant. So what they, what, we, what they do in this country, they don't just give people their cards. What they do initially is say, we need to make so many people redundant. Could we ask for volunteers? People who were happy to take a redundancy package instead of just making people redundant.
0: Uh.
1: And so I, I fell off the chair laughing. And my boss said to <laughs> me, what are you, why, why are you reacting like this? I said, it, it, don't worry about it. So I went and put in my application, and within minutes, they said, well, because you were volunteering, we will give you this redundancy package, and it will be a lump sum payment of £12,000. Oh, and it was our redundancy package paid for me to go to college. I signed the paperwork then and there. It took me five minutes. And from there, I, I left work. I got married. And went straight into into theology college in Cardiff. And to see the Lord moving in in that was absolutely brilliant. So that was 15 years ago. I went into college. I was there for three years. I became a minister. The Lord called me to move from Wales into England, where I, I took up a pastorate in a small mining village. And, yeah, it's... um. Yeah, that's where I've been ministering since until this until um, about three, about a month ago, where I've moved over now into Long Eaton.
0: Mm. So you moved from a a place of atheism, rage, depression, anger, guilt, PTSD, to a place of being released from all of that as a Christian and believing in God, and now you, in your life, go and minister to those who have questions, that have pain, that have anger. It's almost like you've seen your story come full circle.
1: The irony is not lost on me. I think God Mm. has a sense of humor. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, and the number of people I talk to and it starts off with, I can't talk to you. You're a minister. You, you couldn't possibly know what it's like. Right. Because people think ministers have it all together. And I say to them, and I always respond in the same way. I say, well, would you please give me a couple of moments just to share something of my own story with you? And if you feel the same way after... I'll finish my cup of coffee, I'll bless you, and I'll go. And I share a couple of, a couple of minutes of my story and what, I, uh, what I've experienced. And then they say, oh, you do know what it's like. I'll talk with you. And it is out of everything of my own experience that I am able to, to reach out to people and minister to them and help them through it because I've walked the road with them. Right. Yeah, you know, and it's got to a point where I work with local schools now and I lecture on faith and the, the, the faith and science. I teach ethics. Um, I do apologetics and all this sort of stuff as I talk with as I talk with different atheists. And yeah, so that's where that's where I am now. And I help as many people as I can.
0: What an amazing story. Truly an amazing story. We'll return to Mike's story in just a minute. But first, let me tell you about this event coming up with Oz Guinness. There's no doubt that we are living in a divided country. No one disputes that. The question is, how are we to think about it? How are we as Christians to think about it? Well, I have good news for you. There's someone who has thought very, very deeply about cultural issues not only where we have been historically but where we are headed in the future dr oz guinness will be addressing where is america headed the decline of culture and how christians can respond this friday november 6th from 7:30 to 9 p.m it is a c.s lewis institute live streaming event to find out more Please visit the C.S. Lewis Institute website for more information and to register. That will be www.cslewisinstitute.org forward slash America. Hope to see you there. Now let's get back to Mike. As I'm sitting here thinking on your story and with your, your wisdom and your experience, I'm Wondering if there are those who are listening who are asking the same kind of question perhaps that you did, like where where was God? Yeah. How could these bad things happen? Why is my life like this? I wondered if if you wouldn't mind just giving us a a little word. What how would you encourage someone to think if they're really questioning God? because of their circumstances
1: it's an interesting one isn't it if i may share a short story with you i was recently talking to a survivor of auschwitz you know you know the concentration camp sure and i i was sat in a classroom full of children listening to this survivor as he shared his story and i thought i'm going to play devil's advocate And so the children were asking different questions. I put my hand up and I said, tell me, I said, you still a practicing Jew? And he said, yes, I am. And I said, tell me, I said, where was God when you were in this camp? And he said, do you know, he said, I never saw God gas anybody. I never saw God shoot anybody. I never saw God do beat anybody. I never saw God do any of it. And I pondered this and as I reflect on my own story, I never seen God set fire to my house. It was an electrical fault because we had bad wiring. And yet, as a child, I blamed God. We always want somebody to blame for circumstances in somebody's, in, in our lives or because somebody else has done something they shouldn't have done that if they had been following God's ways, they wouldn't have done in the first place. But because they are not following what God wants them to do, they they treat people badly. And very often we, we are experiencing the result of what they shouldn't be doing. But we can't blame them. We blame God. Why did God allow this? No, why did they do it in the first place? Why did God allow this illness? Because we live in a planet where we know illnesses exist, you know it's the way it is but we have to, we we feel in ourselves that we've got to blame someone so where there's nobody to blame we point our finger and we shake our fist at the heavens and we scream and shout at god and say how dare you do this and yet the truth is what he is saying is well if i was walking with you i would be comforting you in this i would be giving you the strength to face it i would be i would be with you Walking with you through it, encouraging you and strengthening you, because the Bible tells me Jesus said Himself, "I will never leave you or forsake you," and when these things happen, I will help you.
0: Thinking about what you're saying, and also thinking about your story, as well as the peace that you were able to find, yeah, that I presume has never left. No, it's a peace. Yeah, it's it's that the peace that you have regardless of your circumstances now mm-hmm. and it's a piece that you can demonstrate
1: um, yeah and even you know I, again you know i ended up um five or six years ago just before i met you in fact i think I, re- I shared with you when when we first met that i had just go i was going through a divorce because my wife my wife decided that she that she was leaving and completely out of the blue And through all of that, the sense of peace I had, you know, it was very upsetting. There were times when I bawled my eyes out and I cried profusely and everything else, but still the sense of peace that I had, and I knew I was I wasn't on my own. And I came through at the other end and I was able to put down things that I had been carrying for many years, and the Lord set through that experience, the Lord set me free from from other things. And, yeah, to see the Lord moving through even the difficult times has been absolutely astonishing. Hmm.
0: What a life and what a story, Mike, truly. Uh, I loved hearing your story as well as your counsel and your experience. And there's just so much there for us to to listen to really. And Mm -hmm. as, as we're, we're kind of winding up, what I'd like for you to do is if there are those who are listening, who are really still quite skeptical about God and that whole question, but yet there's something in your story that's intriguing to them. Maybe perhaps they can see themselves and where you were. Yeah. Uh, but, but, uh, like you were able to kind of turn your corner of not willing to listen to willing to listen. I wondered if if someone was willing to listen, what would you say to that skeptic?
1: To be open, I think. You know, we may not understand it. We may not agree with it. But be open to a possibility Because you never know, you know. Science, you know. If you think, you know, I'm an atheist. I believe in science. Science has all the answers. No, it don't. There are things that science can't answer, and who knows? We are discovering new things all the time. Sometimes we discover what we think are new things that are actually very old, and we had known them and forgotten them. And sometimes, you know, I would just say, be open, you know. If you want to go and talk to a minister, respect where they are coming from. If they are respecting where you are coming from, you know. And I was very fortunate that I found a, a, a couple of Christians who were who were respectful of me, and that gave me the opportunity to just relax and be myself. And as argumentative as I was, I got to respect them for who they were, and that changed things for me. So be open to people, you know, that's what I would want to say to people, to someone.
0: Mm. And if you had the opportunity to talk to Christians who were wanting to be open and, and have a mutual respect for others and for those who disagree and I think what impresses me about your story is that you, you ran into some Christians who were willing to sit down and invest and engage in your story. Yeah. And I wonder, uh, because that, that changed your willingness. And so I wonder if you could, um, give some advice to Christians in terms of how, how to break walls down, how to have meaningful engagement. Um, With with those who aren't.
1: There's this passage in it that says, be ready in and out of season to give a reason for your hope, but do it with respect. And very often Christians forget the last bit. They're ready to give a reason, but without the respect. And I think sometimes before we can start sharing our story, We have to get to know the person and give them the space to be and build the relationship with this person and then be respectful all the time. You know, and my own experience over the last 20 years of being a Christian is if you are respectful and you meet people where they are, sooner or later, you don't have to bring up Jesus. They will do it themselves because they will want to know, why are you like this? Or why are you helping me? Or why are you not reacting in the way I expect? And so it's just getting to know people and being respectful of them.
0: I think that's huge. There's a lot to be said about that, especially in today's culture, where there's very little listening to the other side. (laughs) So that's why I love it.
1: Too right. Too right. I think you're spot on there. We think we have all the answers, and in Christ, I believe we do, but you know, there comes a sp- we have to give space for the other person to come to a revelation of that themselves.
0: I think that is a pearl of wisdom right there, something that's easier said than done, and i I think it's a a really beautiful challenge for all of us, you know, to stop and and really consider and give space for the other person. I think you, you said more than once, you know, that, that you, that you met others who let me be who I was, whether it was the friends, you know, the new Christian friends that you had met, or whether it was in the church where you were, as well as the way that you minister to other people, you give them space to be who they are. Yeah. And, and there's really something very lovely about that. And, and truly transformational it gives room for change it does so wow mike what an incredible story i'm totally inspired i actually had um chill bumps as i'm sitting here i know that sounds cheesy but oh my goodness what a what a great great story and i I, what a privilege uh, for you to be here and and for us all to hear it so thank you so much for your time and for sharing this bit of yourself uh, in a very vulnerable and transparent way. Oh, I, so thank I am you, honored
1: Mike. and pri- I'm honored and privileged. I really am.
0: Oh, fantastic! Thank you. And I love the I love the Welsh accent. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm glad to glad to hear that and to have that. So, thank you again. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Side B Podcast to hear Mike Arnold's story. You can learn more about Mike by visiting his Facebook page and website of Long Eaton Baptist Church. I'll include that in the episode notes. For questions and feedback about this episode, you can reach me by email at, the at cslewisinstitute.org. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and share this new podcast with your friends and social network. In the meantime, I'll be looking forward to seeing you next time where we'll be listening to the other side.